1997, Bob Dylan told Edna Gunderson about his new album Time Out of Mind. This record is not a blueprint. This is it. This is the way these songs should go, every single last one. This record went through evolutions. What you hear comes through that whole maze, that labyrinth of fire that it takes to perfect the arrangement and structure. There is nothing contemporary about it. There is no trickery. We went back to the way a primitive record was made before the advent of technology. It's almost a revolutionary concept these days. On the 27th of January, Bob Dylan's new bootleg series was released and this bootleg series fragments chronicles the evolution of the album Time Out of Mind. And it coincides with the album's 25th anniversary, which was last September. And Time Out of Mind was his first album of original songs in seven years since Under the Red Sky in 1990. And as such, Time Out of Mind was hailed as a return to form. And it was long considered to be the beginning of Dylan's late career renaissance. But I think the press release for this bootleg series rightly considers the album one of his mid-career masterpieces, considering that he is still actively creating 25 years on. Time Out of Mind is universally recognized as one of Bob Dylan's greatest albums, and with good reason. The songs are connected in their themes revolving around a special kind of disorienting heartbreak that impacts your entire outlook on love and life in general. As a result, reality takes on a dreamlike nature as the singer stumbles aimlessly through the aftermath of his lost relationship and the ruins of the life left behind. At 56, Bob Dylan captured the profound loneliness and confusion that can accompany a breakup in middle age. And Daniel Lenoir's production provided a fitting dreamlike soundscape to carry songs like Not Dark Yet, Standing in the Doorway, Lovesick, and trying to get to heaven. Fans have long hoped for a bootleg series entirely dedicated to time out of mind, especially since Telltale Signs in 2008 included outtakes from the sessions that apparently confirmed comments by people who hinted that some of the best material recorded at the sessions didn't actually make the album. The first disc of the release includes a newly remixed version of the album and these remixes were done by Michael Brower. And the goal of these remixes was, as Stephen Hayden explains in his liner notes, quote, to sound more like how the songs came across when the musicians originally played them in the room, without the effects and processing that Lenoir applied later. Daniel Lenoir's production on Time Out of Mind has always had its fair share of critics among Dylan purists, so I imagine that this will be a welcome addition for some. But whether you're a fan of the original sound or not, these remixes are not intended to replace the original album, but rather to offer a fresh look at the songs and performances. The deluxe edition of the box set also includes two discs of unreleased outtakes and alternate takes from the sessions, plus another take containing all of the time out of mind material that was included on Telltale Signs. And lastly, there's one disc of live material that hints at the many lives these songs grew into in performance on stage. In 1998, Time Out of Mind won the Grammy for Album of the Year, and in his acceptance speech, Bob Dylan said, We didn't know what we had when we did it, but we did it anyway. With tales of difficulties during the sessions and creative differences between Bob Dylan and Daniel Lenoir, it perhaps makes sense why Dylan described the album's evolution as a labyrinth of fire. But listening to this box set, it's hard to imagine that anyone involved in the recording process could ever have had any doubt that they were working on something really special. You're listening to Definitely Dylan. My name is Laura Tenchet, and today's episode is a conversation with Robert Cheney, whom some of you might remember as my co-host from the Definitely Dylan radio show. Robert is a musician, songwriter and producer, and we talked about the album Time Out of Mind and what it means to us, and of course, how the box set shapes our idea of the album. Because of time restrictions, we didn't actually get to talk about the disc with the live recording, so we really focused on the recording sessions for the album. 
We looked at some of the alternate lyrics and throughout the conversation you will hear little snippets of some of my favorite moments from the box set. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support Definitely Dylan by becoming a member on Patreon where you get access to bonus episodes and you can become part of our monthly Zoom discussions or you can support the show with a one-off donation on buymeacoffee.com. You know, I think one of the reasons why I really love Time Out of Mind is because I think when I got into Bob Dylan, I mean, by that point, Time Out of Mind had already been out for a few years. Mm. But I think it was the first time that I was listening to a later work by an artist that I really liked yeah. and was really taken in by it. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, when I was a teenager, I listened to a lot of music by artists from the 60s and 70s yeah me too yeah. but i never really explored their later work so much because you know the, the arrogance of youth or whatever you kind of think oh, it won't be as good as it's a legacy artist yeah, yeah. You, you think it won't be as good as maybe their earlier stuff mm. but then when i discovered time out of mind because i found it in a bargain bin right i was just really so drawn into the world of that album you know and the and the songs were just so beautiful and i think it, it had a hand in changing my idea of bob dylan as an artist whose whose later work is just as strong as his earlier work me too you know yeah definitely how do you feel about time out of mind i i love time out of mind i think for me that's like probably my favorite of you know kind of the post early 80s dylan output to this day yeah you know, on every album, there's things that I love, but I think it's one of those records that's just like a start to finish. And and the, you know, it is a world that you can kind of inhabit as a listener. Mm -hmm. I love the Daniel Lenoir production. Yeah. I know it's been contentious and that's part of, you know, the subject of this box set. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I agree. I think the fact that it is so atmospheric and therefore sounds so coherent both in sound and also also in the themes on the on yeah, the album sure. as well. I think it made for a really hypnotizing or enchanting listen. And it was so distinct. I wonder if an album like Time Out of Mind maybe also started off certain trends like you know that maybe the even the rick rubin you know american recordings uh, uh, with yeah, johnny totally, cash yeah you know take a legacy artist someone who's yeah. already a bit older and give them a new sound make people see them in a new light yeah. because of the presentation creatively produce it yeah yeah, yeah. totally i can hear the church bells in the yard and i wonder who you know, I think it's interesting to consider time out of mind in comparison to Oh Mercy as well. Yeah. When Dylan and Lenoir first worked together, I read Lenoir's memoir mm. and he talks about how Oh Mercy was mostly recorded with him and Dylan just in a room looking into each other's eyes and putting down the bass tracks basically mm. and then the rest of the album was kind of built around that intimate performance that kind of like nucleus yeah. of a performance a lot of overdubbing and stuff Yeah, yeah. it seems like Lenoir expected Time Out of Mind to kind of go similarly and he had this idea that he, it would be recorded in his teatro studio, like an old cinema, yeah. sounds sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. 
so in the lead up to the recording sessions for Time Out of Mind, Bob Dylan had sent Daniel Lenoir certain reference records, kind of the sound that he was going for right. on the record. And it was, you know, all blues recordings, you know, Charlie Patton, but also, you know, Little Walter. Bread and butter. And, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to read you a quote of what Lanois writes about this in his memoir. Okay. He writes, I took the suggestions that Bob made regarding old blues and rock and roll records very seriously. My buddy, Tony Manjurian, had a little studio in Manhattan at the time, and he and I got together and checked out some of the records Bob want wanted me to hear. I was already familiar with those records, but had not heard them in a while. Mm. Bob was right. They were vibrant and had a sense of urgency rising from their sounds. Tony and I played along. We closed our eyes and transported ourselves to the Charlie Orchestra, Fast and Furious. Mm. We piled up heaps of renegade overdubs. I squinted until Manjurian's Hole in the Wall Manhattan studio turned into Link Ray's cabin. People beating on walls, shouting fire and brimstone. Wicked. And then he writes, Tony and I listened back to our jams and selected the best inspired group of bars, say eight bar section. Mm. Then we deleted the source inspirations and just listened to our performances. Cool. They had a vibe. Cool. This was good. Tony and I had two or three sessions like this and I left the Manhattan studio with 15 or so grooves that might work for time out of mind. Killer. That's interesting, right? Yeah. What Lenoir doesn't mention, but something that Mark Howard, the engineer of Time Out of Mind, talked about last year in an interview is that another reference record that Dylan gave Lenoir alongside those blues records mm. was Beck. Right. And Beck's Odelay record was released in 1996, 96, right? 96, yeah, of course. And I think if you add that to these early reference records, then a really interesting picture emerges. For one, this idea of creating loops makes a lot more sense yeah. when you realize that Dylan was open to this kind of yeah. studio trickery. Th that's Beck's kind of thing is like sampling and... Um, you know, layers and loops and stuff like that. And also a bit of like a folky Americana yeah. background. Yeah, yeah. There's like guitars and yeah. and, 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 and percussive, stuff. Yeah. percussive guitars and so on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think when you listen to Time Out of Mind, you might not immediately realize that as a presence on the record. Mm. But then you learn that Dirt Road Blues was built on a drum loop. You've told me that before. Yeah, that's super interesting. And that kind of, I think that provides an interesting context for the record. And to me, in between those two worlds of reference records, mm. it makes sense why Bob Dylan decided to go with Daniel Lenoir again as a producer, because he knew that obviously he had worked with him before. He knew that Lenoir was well-versed in the records that he liked, the old records, he yeah. was a great player, yeah. and he was clearly also open to trying out new things. Yeah. So the record really started out with these early jams that Bob Dylan wasn't even present for and his creation of these loops. Interesting. And then the recording started in earnest at the Teatro in Oxnard, California. Right, yeah. And, and that didn't last long. That well, they they tried a few things out, but then operations shifted when Bob Dylan basically said, "I want to go to Florida." <laughs> Gotta get out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they moved to and then they moved to uh, the Criteria Studio in Florida, and again, Mark Howard talked about that in this interview, and he mentioned that apparently the room that they were hoping to record in, which was this amazing room that all the big records, you know, like Aretha Franklin and so on, were recorded in. Hmm. They didn't make that room available for recording anymore. And it was, I think it was used as a storage room or something. Ugh. And the room that they had to record in apparently sounded terrible. Hmm. And they really had to work to get a decent sound out of it. Interesting. And the way that Mark Howard made it sound was really that it was touch and go for a while because there were so many things up in the air and the the circumstances were almost against them for a while uh, yeah, interesting and i almost wonder if maybe that's not i mean i know that's daniel and thing lots of reverb and layers and things like that but 
reverb and layers does wonders to cover up imperfect recording environments yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a I think that's a really interesting part of the story of this album actually. Mm. And I also think that the this shift to Florida, this move to Florida was crucial for the sound of the album because that's when the band came in. Yeah. In Oxnard they were working with a very stripped back configuration I Skeleton think. crew, yeah. Yeah, it was Dylan Lenoir, a uh, bass player and a drummer. Was it Tony on a bass? Yes. Good old Tony, man. Love him. <laughs> and it, it wasn't until they moved to Florida that they invited more musicians and th that's when they had two drummers and yeah. an organ player. And, and that's really when the sound of Time Out of Mind was born. The trees are shaking Well, what's your impression of the remixed version on this new Fragments box? It's interesting because apparently the whole idea of remixing these songs was to capture what these songs sounded like when they were recorded in the room. Mm. So I guess that implies that they did want to strip some of the production away because you, you know how everyone... I think the one word that everyone always associates with time out of mind is that it sounds so swampy. I don't understand the use of that word, but okay. Yeah. I, I think it's because I think it's because a lot of the sound kind of blends into one another and you hear more a a just general sonic swell rather than perhaps a, one distinct instrument all the way through. It's sure. I think it's also the the way it's mixed that you know you have one guitar coming in in one part yeah. and then out again, and because the band was so large, right. I think that meant that certain decisions were made. I personally think it's it's it works really well because it makes the music almost like a tapestry where yeah, the instruments yeah. weave in and out of one another, and you know the constant is Bob Dylan's voice mm. kind of holding it all together. I know we were talking about this recently and I don't know if this made it into an episode or maybe it was a thing on Patreon or whatever, but we're talking about if everyone's got this problem with Lanois' vision, but he was also involved in recording the album, not just mixing it down, you know, his sonic signature is going to be all over the raw tracks. And I think, you know, these alternate mixes show that to be the case. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think that everyone complaining about the production sound is necessarily aware of this. But as producer, Daniel Lanois not only chose which equipment to use, meaning, you know, the microphones that they use to record or the amps, which has a big influence on the sound. But he also chose some of the players. And of course, his own playing is on the record. So even in these remixed versions of the songs, you will still hear his influence very strongly. Yeah. But what I like about the remixes is that it allows you to hear these recordings with kind of fresh ears. We're also familiar with these songs. Yeah. It's interesting to hear them just in a, in a new way again. And I think that Dylan's vocal performances on this album are so stunning to yeah, me yeah they're amazing i mean they always have been i was particularly struck with hearing those in a new way mm -hmm. and they're less distorted you right, know on yeah. the album they sent them through an amp which apparently was dylan's idea right to make them sound almost like these old blues recordings which i think is super cool but yeah i think so too it's an aesthetic choice yeah. but here that distortion is taken away and instead his voice is kind of slathered in reverb, mm. which, you know, reminds me almost of the audiobook to <laughs> The Philosophy of Modern <laughs> Song. <laughs> uh, nice. But, you know, it's 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 nice to hear them in a new way when they've felt so familiar for so many years. Sure, yeah. And the remix, the remix kind of makes them shiny and new again. And I do also think that certain instruments do come through a lot clearer in the mix and probably because what we just said the, that the original album is more like a tapestry yeah. and that means that I've heard certain parts 
played by some instruments in these songs that I had had never picked up on before that maybe weren't in the original mix. Yeah, sure. So it's like they just took the original tracks, faders up, give it to us pretty straightforwardly now. I'm not sure. I think it's... I'm sure there were still decisions made, you know, what's in coming the in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, obviously, Dylan's later vocal overdubs are still there. So yeah. it's not like it would have sounded exactly like that in the mix. You sure. know, we have the exact vocals that we hear on the album. So that that is probably more a a phrase for the press release. Sure. And maybe also a response to the fact that so many people had this idea that the production took up such a big part of the yeah, sound. Put a big stamp on the sound. Yeah. Although, like, you know, I think you've listened to it more than I have. I don't hear that much of a difference. It's like the same performances. It's the same songs. It's got the same kind of vibe. Like, okay, yeah, maybe the reverb's slightly different. Or, like, the vocal's not as distorted or whatever. But, like, it's not It's not like, wow, it's yeah. so different. Yeah, they're still the same. They're still the same songs, and I think at first I was thinking, or oh, maybe it was an attempt to kind of give the fans what they wanted because so many fans have been complaining about the sound. But listening to it now, I almost feel like what it did for me is to justify the decisions that have been made on the studio album time out of mind. To it to me, it validates Lenoir's aesthetic decisions that shaped time out of mind as it was released in the 90s you yeah, know yeah 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 totally and and that's the other thing you know time out of mind won the grammy for album of the year as i was listening to the remixed version i was i, I couldn't help but think i'm not sure if this remixed version would have won album of the year hmm just because i mean obviously the songs are incredible but i think there was something about the production also that put a really modern stamp on Dylan in that moment, you know? It wasn't just it wasn't just, oh, here's another Bob Dylan album. It was also like, here's Bob Dylan and he's kind of like sounding a bit current and Yeah, sure, I get what you're saying. I, I we've we've talked about my take on the Grammys though, it's like some weird kind of popularity contest. Like once you do something that culture deems worthwhile, you usually gotta wait a year or two. Yeah. 30 whatever but you know at some point they come down from the mountain and bestow you with a grammy yeah it has more to do with the cultural moment than actually necessarily the most recent work you've done f for which you're ostensibly receiving this grammy yeah you're probably right i think i agree with you but i think in a way grammy wise it was dylan's turn to get a grammy and whatever he'd come out with as long as it wasn't a steaming pile you know, was going to get a Grammy. <laughs> well, also, it was kind of his return to what you could call at least pop-adjacent music because all of the 90s, I mean, you know, there was Under the Red Sky, sure, which wasn't really that successful. And then he did Good As I've Been To You and yeah. Work On Wrong did an MTV Unplugged album. So he was kind of like, you know, did Woodstock in 94, yeah. So he he was kind of like he was in kind of there. He was kind of he there. He was around, but he hadn't proven himself in a while. I'm drifting in and out of dreamless sleep, throwing all my memories in a ditch so deep. Did so many things I never did intend to do. I think what I maybe find most interesting about this box set is what it tells us about Time Out of Mind as an album, right? Mm. Because I think the outtakes and maybe also those remixes, they kind of throw into relief what the album is and what it isn't. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's like more context or something. Yeah. It's not the first bootleg series that's dedicated to just one album. Mm -hmm. You know, we have like the cutting edge. We have more uh, blood, more tracks. More blood, more tracks. You could say even something like another self-portrait. Yeah. But time out of mind, I think, is different in the sense that we have all these early versions where we can almost trace the creative process because we see how they 
how maybe one song morphed into another yeah. or how the lyrics from one song ended up in two other songs. Yeah, I think his creative process was a lot more like that, kind of like this mole kind of stew of yeah. like reincorporation. Yeah. More so than it probably had been ever before, maybe since. Yeah, it was definitely the beginning of... Well, a lot of people say that it was on time out of mind that he started the whole patchwork right. method yeah. because there are all these, you know, old blues lyrics and according to Scott Warmoth, Henry Rollins yeah, bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah. Kind of all Quotations, through... Quotations, yeah. Yeah, all through the songs, something that he obviously leaned into more later. Mm. But you can almost see how he treats his own songs already as source material sure. for more writing basically yeah. I just don't know what am I gonna do I was alright till I fell in love with you once I had a pretty girl she did me wrong now I'm marching to the city bars and the road ain't long well we already talked a little bit about Dirt Road Blues and how that is almost a standout track because it has a drum loop. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. That song is also kind of important because from what I gather, this is the only song that he really insisted on kind of all the way through. It's apparently the one that he kind of returned to again and again and he really wanted to get it right. Kept trying to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting because it's also the only song from Time Out of Mind that he's never played live. Interesting. So even though apparently he was really set on including it on the album. Yeah, nailing it for the record. Then he just kind of dropped it afterwards. Yeah. And Maybe he spent too much time on it in the, in the studio and never wanted to hear it again. Yeah, I guess that's possible. But on this, on this box set, there are two early versions of Dirt Road Blues, right? Mm. And it, it's a weird one because... That was never one of my favorite songs on Time Out of Mind, I think. Right, yeah. That's maybe why I was so surprised to listen to one of the early versions and discover all these different lyrics that I think gave me a different kind of context to maybe why that song was important for Bob Dylan. Mm. I think this is the version one. The version two also has different lyrics, but version one, for one, has a B section that isn't in the in the album version. And mm. then he sings, right up ahead, I see a patch of light. I'm wondering why the flowers and trees are so white. People around me are dropping like flies. I got the miseries of the world in my eyes. light in the tunnel for for several reasons i think this is really interesting one of the big themes on time out of mind is walking yeah you know it the, moving the whole, on someplace yeah the yeah. whole album starts with i'm walking through streets that are dead on yeah. lovesick and then the next song dirt road blues i'm walking on that dirt road yeah yeah and then you know 20 miles out of town cold irons bound i'm walking through the summer nights you know i try to get closer but i'm still a million miles for you and highlands he's like walk so this is like one yeah. of the one of the big themes on the album. He's the singer is always in this in between space trying to get somewhere. Cool. But in this version, there is in this B section this clear reference to mortality and death. Yeah, right. Yeah. I think a lot of people immediately picked up on kind of like the darkness in the songs on time out of mind and mm. that there is you know some weariness you know it's not dark yet but it's getting yeah, there of course, yeah. you know yeah. all of that um yeah that's always been part of the lore yeah it's, it's like oh he had there's if you look on the cover there's a bottle of pills isn't that really part of the thing like oh it's because of some <gasps> medication that he was taking because he had a brush with death and like I, I, I feel like i don't know but like i feel like i've heard little opinions about yeah that was well, because he he did have that health scare after the album was recorded oh, was it, after? it was right. after the album was know. recorded but yeah, it was i'm probably wrong but it was but it was associated with the album because right. i think it was right around when it came out or something okay yeah 
and he had to interrupt his tour and mm. so on. And he afterwards said, like, oh, you know, I nearly met my maker. Well, right. I thought I, I thought I was meeting Elvis soon, I think is what he Ooh. said. So because that was around the same time as this really dark album came out, I think, and because he was already in his 50s, you know, so old. (laughs) That was kind of ridiculous. But back then, you know, he was kind of part of that generation that was getting older and still actively playing music Mm, and so on. But I think he got really tired of this idea that Time Out of Mind was like his death album. And he spoke a few times, I think at the, you know, he did this, press conference in Rome around the time when Love and Theft came out and he was asked about time out of mind and mm. he said something like, oh, you know, I don't think about mortality any more than anyone else. Sure, yeah. Uh, maybe when the people around me get put in the ground, you know, then I think about death. And to someone else he said, oh, you know, everyone thinks it has to do with my mortality. Maybe it just has to do with mortality in general or whatever, you know, mm. which all of which kind of sounds like splitting hairs a little bit. Or almost like he's protesting a bit too much you yeah. know maybe maybe he just wanted to move the conversation off of that topic really yeah maybe and of course it's also possible that especially if you had an actual brush with death mm. that might put any previous thoughts that you had about getting old and mortality in perspective and all mm. of a sudden you might really find your joy in life again and just be so glad that you survived this sure and yeah the thought of mortality might be out of your mind for the time being. And maybe that's also why he rejected this being brought up again and again in interviews. Could be, yeah. But all the more interesting then that in this rewriting, you know, that it includes the lines, people around me are dropping like flies. I got the miseries of the world in my eyes. You know, that's people around him being put in the ground. Of course. So, yeah, in the lyric. Yeah. So clearly it's, it's on his mind. Douglas Brinkley writes in the liner notes, in his portion of the liner notes, that he does think that the death of someone close to Dylan had an impact on the album because he says that he considers the beginning of the album's story Mm. to have been the death of Jerry Garcia, who passed away in 1995 in August, I think. Mm, And that seems to have really affected Bob Dylan because... Bob Dylan did this little eulogy about Jerry Garcia and he wrote, to me, he wasn't only a musician and friend, he was more like a big brother who taught and showed me more than he'll ever know, Mm. which is really sweet. But I think that also puts this line about people dropping like flies in context, I think. Sure, yeah. And all the more interesting that they were then taken out. I just thought that made me appreciate Dirt Road Blues in a new way. She's loaded down As deep can be But not as deep As the love I'm in And I know not all the songs on this box set are really the songs from time out of mind Mm. there's only one song that isn't on the finished album and that is also incidentally the earliest recording right from i think august 1996 and that's a cover of the water is wide this beautiful traditional song that dylan sang with joan bias during rolling thunder review and then it appears here in the mid 90s again I wonder if, you know, they weren't doing covers to like warm up, get yeah. into the thing. You know, I know, I th- I think that's kind of a technique that Dylan uses or has used in yeah. the, uh, throughout the years to, you know, get his, get warm in the session, do some covers. Definitely. It really reminded me of the voice that you hear on like World Gone Wrong. Yeah. Just something in the tone and the delivery mm-hmm. is similar. Yeah, the, it really reminds me of the vocals on Lone Pilgrim, the last song on World Gone Wrong interesting i think it serves that function i think it's a very cleverly placed song because it's the first song on the second disc Mm. and i think it really ties the sessions to the earlier material you know the traditional material on well gone wrong and kind of roots the album in that kind of material Mm. 
I think it's really interesting that, that you're talking about how he didn't like to use songs by other people or traditionals to warm up because yeah. that's actually something that we see on some of the other collections as well. For example, on Springtime in New York, he does that yeah. beautiful version of Angel Flying Too Close to the Ground. There's loads of cool stuff on Springtime in New York. Yeah, but yeah. but then that version turns into Lord Protect My yeah, Child. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a jumping off point for a new composition. Yeah, and... He's a, he's, that's his borrowy kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, but also way back when Definitely Dylan was a radio show, I did some episodes about More Blood, More Tracks. Mm-hmm. And I talked about the one you know the odd one out on that compilation which was a cover of spanish's the loving tongue oh yeah i mean that's a song that dylan loves there's lots of versions that he's recorded of that song through I've the got years theories about that one me too yeah. and we should talk about it, that sometime i'd love i'd love that yeah. yeah but in the context of that box set more blood more tracks i thought that spanish's the loving tongue was actually a little bit enlightening because when you think about it it deals with a lot of the same themes that you then see on the album Blood on the Tracks. Totally. This idea of love disturbed by fate. Yeah, ill-fated lovers. Yeah, yeah, ill-fated lovers and you have to go away, like adventure kind of pulls you away, but your heart is still with the person that you left behind even though you know it's not going to work out. It's very simple twist of fate. If you see her, say hello. You know, it's, it's, it's all of that. And I think in the context of Time Out of Mind, the water is white fulfills a similar role because we already talked about this theme of moving all the time. Mm-hmm. When you think about it in the light of the water is wide, where he sings, but it can't cross over, mm. neither have a wings to, f- to fly. You mm. know, there's this frustration that you can't get where you're trying to go. Interesting. You know, but is it not kind of like the inverse then? In the themes that we've talked about so far, he is on the move. He is getting, he's he's on the way, but in Waters Wide, he can't. Maybe, you you could argue that, but I think with songs like, you know, I try to get closer, but I'm still a million miles from you. Oh, yeah. You know, there is always, it, I feel this big futility hmm. in in the songs on Time Out of Mind, that it feels, like, mean, the, yeah. that it feels like the movement isn't actually getting you to towards a goal it's almost like you're walking for walking sake stuck in the walking yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly you know in in uh not dark yet he sings i can't even remember what it was i came here to get away from you know that's this yeah i see yeah you know highlands it also feels like you know his mind is always somewhere else Mm. where he for some reason can't go and i think the water's wide is kind of yeah 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 yeah. i see exactly what you mean it is kind of doing that and even I mean this devastating line. I mean I love I love the Waters White so much. Um where he sings, But love grows old and waxes cold and fades away like morning dew. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that also captures a lot of the songs on Time Out of Mind. Mm. This you know, getting older and love fading mm. and you know, you you're not being able you know being cold. able to do any yeah. to, to do anything about it. Yeah, so yeah, sure. And in particular, and maybe it's because they're quite close together on the on the compilation, at least at least in the way that I listen to it. Red River Shore. Mm. I mean, of course, there's the water in shore and so on, and maybe that's where my association came from. Right. But that song is also about trying to get to someone, get back to someone, and there is a separation there and you and it's not quite clear whether it's time or distance. Yeah. And in the waters wide, you also can't really you can't really tell what's keeping you. Yeah. It's just the waters wide. What's you the know, water? It's just, it's what's the metaphor? Yeah. yeah. Is it time or distance? Or yeah, and of course Mississippi is a river. You yeah. know, so I feel like the this this theme of water is maybe even more clear when you look at the or this connection to the waters wide is clearer when you see the outtakes as part of the album story. Interesting. Yeah. Totally. Sun went down on me a long time ago. I had to pull back from the door. I wish I could have spent every hour of my life with the girl on the red river shore. 
I think we can think of this box set as the road to time out of mind. You know, we see the creative process sure, yeah. and the, the early versions and things that tried out, but then also the road not taken, both in the sense that we hear certain attempts that they made at songs different that, versions. you know, that didn't work out. Or different mixes. Dif exactly, the different mixes. And then also the songs that were abandoned halfway through yeah. and the songs that never made it onto the album but maybe found their home elsewhere. For example, a song like Dreaming of You. Mm. That song they only really tried early on before it then morphed into, you know, other songs, including Standing in the Doorway. Sure, yeah. One version was already released as part of Telltale Signs. Mm. But the version here I actually thought was super interesting because it must be earlier. It must predate the the Telltale Science version, even though both are dated the same day. So maybe a lot was going on that day. Mm. But this other version that was released on this Fragments box set has the entire... has almost the entire first verse of Standing in the Doorway. It mm. starts, I'm walking through the summer nights, jukebox playing low. Yeah, yeah. It's like deja vu or something. Yeah, and it really shows that that song, Standing in the, in the Doorway, clearly grew out of the song Dreaming of You. Yeah. And Standing in the Doorway is one of my favorite Bob Dylan songs, period. I mean, it's certainly one of my favorite songs on Yeah, me too. Time Out of Mind. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just gorgeous. And it's particularly fascinating to me to trace, you know, its genesis on this box set. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, and even, you know, we were talking about themes and how walking is such a big theme. I also spoke about this on the radio show way back when, about how I did an episode called Songs from the Threshold, mm. and I talked about Bob Dylan songs that kind of exist in these in between spaces for different reasons sure yeah and time out of mind i realized has all these songs that exist in these in between spaces that's kind of the theme of the record as you say yeah, yeah and the idea of walking and constantly being on the move is one way of being in between two things mm -hmm. but you can also you know s songs from the threshold standing in the doorway is obviously yeah. you're neither here nor there you're ne neither in or out also, the lyrics of the song are neither here nor there. It's this song and that song. Yeah, you know, oh, the that's songs interesting. Are like yeah, liminal spaces in between other songs. Yeah, the creative process is a liminal space. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but when you think about it, another liminal state is dreaming, because Ooh, yeah. you're somewhere between being awake and being asleep. Totally. Yeah. Between consciousness and unconsciousness, it's almost like I'm, I don't know if that was a conscious decision or whether this just kind of happened, but. Go, moving from dreaming of you to standing in the doorway, this kind of neither here nor there quality was preserved, you know. That's still that's still part of the song and clearly was something that resonated with yeah. Dylan. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's That's super interesting. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was that that was interesting. It's like liminality has been like, you know, moved over slightly into yeah. a different liminal space, but yeah. the the liminality remains. Yeah. I mean, dreams are a really, really big theme That's on this album. That's one of album. my favorite topics. Yeah. <laughs> dreams. And I, I mean, I also really want to give a shout out. Grayley Heron wrote a book called Dreams and Dialogues mm, about time cool. out of mind. Yeah. I read it and my mind was just constantly blown because I think he really teases out these beautiful connections. You know, he, he makes some provocative arguments. Interesting. For example, you know, that a lot of the songs can be read as almost like murder ballads. Okay. And, you know, that they, that they have an ambiguous nature. Yeah. For me, it unlocked new meanings to, to the songs on this album. I would mm. really recommend it. And also the last chapter is, in my opinion, the best and most significant study on Bob Dylan and race in America. Yeah, I remember you talking to me about that one. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's so good. And I think it would make for a really good companion read to this new box set. So if you're interested, I will put the link in the show notes. Where your love is my link To the outside world And always it will remain Is all I do 
Same with Dreaming of You, mm-hmm. how it became Standing in the Doorway. Mm-hmm. You know, Mississippi, I guess it stayed Mississippi, but it didn't come together on Time Out of Mind. Three versions of Mississippi were already released on Telltale Signs. They tried that one a lot. So they tried that one quite a few times because I think Bob Dylan always knew that he had a great song there. Yeah. And in in one interview, he complained about Daniel Lenoir saying that he didn't understand that this was a great song and he wanted to add like voodoo polyrhythms or something <laughs> and you know didn't understand <laughs> voodoo polyrhythms that's so a, cringe man I'm thinking about a, drinking Mai Tais under the palm trees it's such a band <laughs> <laughs> it says a lot about kind of their relationship <laughs> I think that, um. <laughs> <laughs> voodoo polyrhythms devastating man yeah. how does he even wake up in the morning when Bob Dylan talks about him like that in interviews <laughs> Okay, I'll read you the I'll read you the full quote, right? He says, Mississippi was pretty much laid out intact melodically, lyrically, and structurally, but Lenoir didn't see it, thought it was pedestrian, took it down the Afro polyrhythm route, multi-rhythm drumming, that sort of thing. Polyrhythm has its place, but it doesn't work for knife-like lyrics trying to c- convey majesty and heroism. Maybe we had worked too hard on other things, I can't remember, but things got contentious once in the parking lot. He tried to convince me that the song had to be sexy. Sexy and more sexy. I know about sexy too. I tried to explain that the song had more to do with the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights than witch doctors and just couldn't be thought of as some kind of ideological voodoo thing. But he had his own way of looking at things and in the end I had to reject this because I thought too highly of the expressive meaning behind the lyrics to bury them in some steamy cauldron of drum theory. <laughs> steamy cauldron of drum theory. We are, man. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, he's um, a joker. When was that um, interview? Good question. Was Let that like shortly after the record came out? Oh, that was like years later maybe. Let me have a look. This was... Oh, uh, this was in the 2001... The Grammy acceptance speech. <laughs> no, this was in the 2001 uh, Rolling Stone interview with David Frick, Fricky? Frick? Wow. Interesting. That's really funny. I was thinking about the things that Rosie said. I was dreaming I was sleeping in Rosie's bed. Walking through the leaves that are falling from the trees. Well, I don't know about you. I mean, I guess there's like things like tango and stuff. But I was going to say sexy. (laughs) It's not usually something for me that involves accordions. (laughs) I think accordions can be sexy. Yeah, you said tango. Yeah, yeah. I guess I just invalidated my own opinion. (laughs) Um, I don't know if the Zydeco thing, though. Maybe that's where they clashed. Yeah, that's where they clashed. Interesting. I I really love this version. Yeah, I, I like think this too. version is like it's ticking a lot of the boxes on what I want from the song, yeah. recording wise. I mean, it's interesting to hear him saying, you know, it has more to do with the Declaration of Independence and so on. And but I, I think I get what he means actually. I, I think from I a get lyric, it too. you kind of get it's it's like a it's a breakup song. And it's a it's a fundamental, so- you know, it's like a profound song. Yeah. You know, it isn't like a sexy love song or no, whatever. Not at it's all. Any song with the lines, I've got nothing but affection for all those who sailed with me. You know, it's like, yeah. it's it's a, yeah, that song has some real depth. You know, I am really interested to see what the overall reception of this box set will be because yeah. Time Out of Mind has been one of those you know i think it's been on people's wish list for a bootleg series for so long it was always seen as such a mysterious album because of the tensions during the recording Mm. and it will be really interesting to see whether the material that's on this box set provides all the answers that people had I think this is a great box set. I really, I, I, I love it. And I think we're fans of seeing process. So I think seeing just how the songs transformed 
and grew from one iteration to the other and yeah. the different approaches that it took and you know what it brought out in Dylan's vocals and all of that I think is riveting but I also think what this box set makes the most clear to me and maybe therefore the title fragments is actually perfect is just how alchemical the record making process is yeah totally and that in the end even if you follow all the steps on the way to the album that doesn't necessarily mean that you will understand the end result as the sum of its parts yeah because a great album which time out of mind is will always be more than the sum of its parts and I ain't looking for anything in anybody's eyes. Sometimes my burden is more than I can bear. It's not dark yet, but it's Thanks so much for listening to Definitely Dylan. It feels like we barely scratched the surface of this beautiful new box set. There's so much more to talk about. So maybe we will revisit at some point in the future. In the meantime, if you want to support Definitely Dylan, you can become a member on Patreon for bonus episodes. And we have these monthly Zoom discussions, which are always really, really fun. If that's not your jam, you can also make a one-off donation on buymeacoffee.com slash definitelydylan. All the relevant links will be in the show notes. But you can also support Definitely Dylan without spending any money at all by leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd like to thank Robert for this lovely discussion and also for the original music that he has contributed to the show. And I would like to thank all the patrons, especially Brian Walsh, Christian Kay, Claire Wellborn, Craig Danielov, CS, David Alexander Watts, David Jones, Edward Mulhall, Emma Swift, Aaron Callahan, Friedrich Dunkel, George Spanos, Grayley Heron, Harry Hugh, HJB, Jacob Martinez, Jamie Whiteman, Jesse Scott, Jim Salvucci, Joachim Meckel, John C., Julie Cohn, Melanie Young, Molly Mullen, Paul Schmitz, Peter White, Roberta Rakow, Robin Ha, Scott Pollock, Steve Gordon, Susanne, Tom, Wade Greiner and Dr. Wolfgang Strobel. Thank you so much. <laughs>